you haven't met yet, my name is Ryan. I have the privilege of serving as one of our pastors here. We're going through this series on parables, and we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 13 today. Uh, I always remind you, if you don't have a Bible, we have some in our Welcome Center that are free. You can take that as a gift. And uh, chapters are the big numbers, so turn to the second half of your Bible, find Matthew chapter 13, and the small numbers of the verses will be in verse 24 this morning. And as we talked about last week, this parables, it's not a word we use in everyday conversation. So what is a parable as we talk about Jesus teaching in parables? And a parable is just a cosmic truth related to us in a concrete reality. Okay, a cosmic truth and a concrete reality. So Jesus is going to tell these stories, these parables, for you and I, hopefully, to understand these cosmic truths that are sometimes very difficult for us to understand. And that's why we're entitling this Truth Hidden in Plain Sight. Because it's right there in front of us, but a lot of times we don't stop and think about these passages. We don't stop to like just let them settle in our hearts and our minds. And so that's what we're going to do today as we look at Matthew chapter 13. Now we're going to kind of break this up. We're going to do verses 24 through 30 first. This is the, uh, the parable that Jesus is telling us, like bringing it down from heaven to earth to us to understand. And then he's going to explain it in verse 36 through 43. So we're going to read those sections. And don't worry, we'll get back to the parable in between next Sunday. We'll look at that. But uh, for today, we'll start right here in verse 24. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Jesus, that's the he there, he puts another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sows good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and to gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. I want to pause right there because that's huge, because uh, this is where we are right now. This is where we are in time and in history. What he says in verse 30 applies to you and to me, and that's what we're going to kind of unpack and understand today. But in verse 30, let me say it again. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I, tell, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. And gather the wheat into my barn. So there's the parable. Now Jesus is going to explain it, starting in verse 36. Then he left the crowds and he went into a house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us this parable of the weeds and the field. Now this is key because Jesus is going to unpack everything he just said in this parable earlier. Verse 37, he answered them, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Jesus is the one that's sowing the seed in that story. Verse 38, the field is the world. It's not an individual. It's God's creation. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds, on the other hand, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy has sown them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. 
The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into a fiery furnace in the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father God, we looked last week at a parable that reminded us that we need you to open up our eyes, that we would see your truth, to soften our hearts, that we would believe your truth. And so God, just like we prayed last week, we pray again this week, Lord, would you allow us to see your truth and Lord, would you change us? God, convict us, but also bring to us comfort. Lord, we desperately need you today. Help us to understand what it means for us to live in a broken world, how we're supposed to act, what we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to believe. God, give us understanding in all of those things today. And now let me invite you, no matter where you are in your walk of faith, just to silently pray that God would would speak to you through his word this morning. Pray and ask him to speak now. And then pray for me, if you would, silently pray that I would be helpful to you over the next several minutes that we have looking at God's word. May I serve you well. Pray for me now. Lord, I ask that you would help us to worship you through our hearing. You invite us, um, all who have ears, to listen and to hear what you have to say. So God, help us to do that now and do it in an act of worship to you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, just this last week, I saw two major headlines that have just kind of stayed in my mind, news headlines, that is. And one is this couple that you're gonna see a picture of on the screen, uh, Pam and Gary. Pam and Gary are in the kind of middle and a little bit um, to me, on my my right there. A couple in their 50s that heard about these seven kids who lost both of their parents in a car accident. And this couple, Pam and Gary, um, have, have given their life to foster kids and to care for kids. And when Pam heard this story about uh, these parents that had passed, she thought about these kids and she's like, my goodness, we've got to love these kids. And so she said, I felt like God was leading me to, to adopt these kids. She said, as, as I started thinking about this, I'm like, but these are seven kids. I mean, there's seven of them. And, and we're in our 50s, like my husband and I, we're thinking towards retirement right now. Like this is not the prime time to adopt seven kids, right? We're, we're in our mid-50s. And she said, I just knew that if I go and tell Gary that I think we should adopt these kids, he's going to say, you're crazy. Like you have lost your mind. And so she went and told Gary, and Gary's like, man, I have thought the same thing. I thought the same thing, that, that God is leading us to adopt these kids. And so they did. They adopted these kids and they've been on the news and everybody's just kind of been celebrating that act of love. I mean, that that good work that these people are doing, it's amazing. But on the opposite extreme, everybody saw this on news headlines about what happened in Indianapolis, right? Where's the shooting at, at FedEx and eight people lost their lives. I mean, this sad, sorrowful 
story. And, and, and you just you hear these two different headlines, one of grace and good and one of, of evil and death. And you're like, man, is this the same world? Like, do these two things go together? Like, how in the world can we have something so good and so beautiful happen and then something so evil happen at the same time? How do those two things go together? And then how in the world do we live in a world like that? That's what this parable is all about. That's what Jesus is telling us today. He's saying there's good and there's evil in the world, and he sees both of them. And then he's like, but you need to know it's not always going to be like this. And this is how you live and act in a world that is like this. Now, to me, the, the theological nerd side of me, you know, like the, I love to just read and think about these things, looks at this passage, and this is fascinating to me. Like, remember, this is one sermon that Jesus has given, and he's given multiple parables. And he's just given a parable of invitation, where he says, hey, I'm going to preach, and I'm going to give you a chance to hear and respond to what I say. And he keeps saying, listen up, listen to what I'm saying. Some of you are going to be like this type of soil that hears it, immediately forgets it. Some of you are going to be like this type of soil that responds to it in joy for a moment and then walks away from it. Some of you are going to be like, I got deep roots, but all the cares and the busyness of this world just pulls all of that away and you just wither. And then some of you will respond rightly with hundredfold, thirtyfold, sixtyfold fruit from what you've heard. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be that kind of fruit that would respond this way. And so he's invited them. And then right on the heels of that, he goes into this big discussion on theodicy. He goes into this big discussion on good and evil. And you're like, what? Like, what are you doing here, Jesus? And I think it's the grace of God in this moment to know some of our biggest struggles as we look at the world around us. And he speaks to them. And so what I want us to do today as we walk through this is I want us to see the truths that Jesus is highlighting in this parable and allow it to change our lives and change the lens in which we view our world even as broken as it is. And so the first thing I want us to grasp, first truth, is that the presence of evil doesn't mean an absence of God. The presence of evil in our world does not mean an absence of God. You see, in this passage, Jesus tells us, hey, there are weeds in this world and there is wheat. There is good and there is evil. Jesus is highlighting that. He sees what you and I see. What we just heard on all the headlines, Jesus is like, yeah, I know, I already told you about it. Like, there's good and evil in the world. I get it. And he starts to describe the evil as these weeds that, that grow up in the world. Now, at that time, the specific kind of weed that Jesus was talking about is this uh, weed called darnell. And you'll see this in the picture. There's, they look very similar, wheat and weeds, there's different colors so that we can easily see the difference. But when they're growing side by side, it's really hard to see the difference between the two. But wheat, when it grows up, produces something good with it. You can make bread with that. You can eat with that. You can use it to sow other fields and make more food. Whereas the weeds on the other side, those little seeds that you see in there are actually poisonous. And they grow up and they look the same in the moment of growth until maturity happens. Until the day of the harvest is what Jesus says. That they grow side by side. And we would look and we would say, man, some of the things we look at, we're like, man, that, that definitely is wheat. When in reality, it's, it's wheat. 
things that we would say, well, that person must be good or that thing must be good, when it goes to its ultimate end, we're like, no, no, I was, I was wrong. That's actually not a good thing. That's actually poisonous to my soul and my heart. And Jesus is not ignoring evil in this moment. He's like, hey, I can see the difference, even when other people can't see the difference between the two of them. I clearly see there is evil and there is good. There's evil and there's good. He's highlighting that. He's showing us that. And this evil in the world doesn't mean that God put it there or that God's the author of evil. This parable actually tells us the exact opposite, that he did not establish this, that he did not make evil in the world, that there's an enemy. So there's real evil in the world, but at the same time, there's a real enemy that's causing that evil to happen. And he tells us who that enemy is. He says the enemy comes out and he sows the weeds. But then later down, the last part that we read, he actually tells us who the enemy is. In verse 39, it says, the enemy who sowed this, this is the devil. Now, a lot of us hear that and just kind of shrug it off. We're just like, oh, the devil, okay? Because what comes to our mind is like a guy in red with horns and a pitchfork and a pointy tail. Or for us in North Carolina, a blue guy with pointy horns and a pointy tail. Like, that's what comes to our mind when we think of devil, right? And so we caricature him, we put him to the side. It's like, oh, that's just like a, that's, that's just not a big deal. Oh, it's a, it's a big deal. Like he's active and he's working. And the Bible actually tells us what his work is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You and I and this good creation. Like that's his end game. That's his goal. All that's good he wants to ruin. And I find it fascinating in this parable how he works. It, it says that he comes in the night while everybody else is sleeping. He comes and he sows these weeds in there. He's, he's stealthy. We talked about that last week, that sometimes evil comes with a, with a force behind it and tries to take something away from you, or sometimes it just comes with seduction and starts to steal things away from you. Well, here he comes very silently in the night, and he's sowing evil in this world. And he's still active to this day. And what Jesus wants us to see in this moment is, Guess what, guys? I see the same evil that you see. There are weeds in this world. There are bad people. There are evil things that happen. Jesus sees them, and he's saying, I'm not ignoring them. I'm not ignorant of them. I see them. They're there. But even though there's evil working, there's also good that's working at the same time. And that's where the wheat comes in. See, God's not absent He's sowing good seed. He's growing up wheat, which are good things. And what's fascinating is that God is actually working a miracle. And this doesn't necessarily work in our minds on the agricultural sense, but in the miracle sense it does. What Jesus is doing is he's taking weeds and he's turning them into wheat. Jesus is saving people. He is changing and transforming lives. He is bringing more good and we sit here and we think, but I, maybe I see a little bit of good, but there's so much evil. Like There's just a sense of, I look at our, our world and I feel the darkness of the evil in the world. I, I understand that there's an evil one that's working. Like, and you're talking about this, this little bit of good that's going on in this passage? Yeah, there, there is evil, but there's also good. And, and we need to understand this. This is extremely important. When I talk about good and evil, and, and even in this passage we talk about it, it's not in a dualistic sense. 
where good and evil are equal and they're worn against each other. That's not what this passage is teaching. Good is much, much stronger than evil. Much stronger. And so we can think about it like this. Even in the darkest of moments, light still shines. There's no amount of darkness that can snuff out light. doesn't matter how dark it is. You can't do it. Several years ago, my sister who lived down in the Dominican Republic, I went to visit her down there. And one of the days, she's like, hey, do you want to go to these underground caves? They're really neat. Kind of look at them. And I'm like, I've never really been to an underground cave before. So, so yeah, let's go. And so we go and we start walking down uh, these steps that lead you underground. And when we get in there, this is what you see. What you see on the screen right now is what we look around and we see. I mean, it's amazing. You look up and you see, you know, kind of roots from trees coming down through the rocks. And you see where rocks have kind of formed over time. And the only way you can see these things is because the lights that are there. You kind of see them in the pictures, the lights that shine on the different rocks. But as you walk further and further through this cave, you get to the point where you're kind of at the lowest point, the darkest point. They have lights on a track, and if you catch the right person that's leading you through there, the, the host will joke and kind of flip off the lights on you, right? And it's so dark, you can't see your hand in front of your face. Like, you can feel the air, but you can't see your hand in front of your face. And yet, even if one person in the group pulls out their, their phone and just touches it, that glow from the screen lights up the room. Now, is there more darkness or is there more light in that room in that moment? There's absolutely more darkness. But light still shines in the midst of the darkness. I mean, it can guide you out of that space, right? It leads you to see what you need to see. And so there's not a war of good and evil where it's like, mm, who's going to win? Maybe evil could win. Oh, no, good can win. Like, no, no, no. Good is much, much stronger. Much stronger than evil. So even in the darkest of moments, God is not absent, but he's working. And you might think, Ryan, that's a great story, but like, how do you know that still to be true? And I would say because of the darkest of moments in all of human history, God was still working and light was still being shown. The darkest of moments in human history, where an innocent man, the creator of all we see, made it all good, is put on trial and he is killed as a criminal, though he's completely innocent. I mean, the one that created all of this and created us, I mean, he's hung to a tree that he created. He's killed by people that he created. The darkest of moments, both physically and spiritually, I believe if you were there, you would have felt the darkness in that moment. And yet light is shining. We would look at that dark moment and say, there's no way that good can come out of this. Like, this is the worst of moments. And the light of salvation is being shown. And Jesus is saying, yes, I'm dying. But I'm dying that you would see the light. That you would have light and life in me. So in the darkest moments, the disciples would have looked and said, there's no way that God is moving in this. God is absent. God is gone. He's not here. And in that darkest of moments, the light was shining the brightest. And the same is true for today. That even in the darkest of times, God is still moving and he's shaking. He is not absent. He's still saving. God is a mighty God. Now you might think, well, that's, that's great to know who our God is. Like, that does lead me to worship. But what am I supposed to do with that? 
Like how do, how do you and, and I live in a world that's full of evil and full of brokenness? How, do, how are we supposed to live and respond in a world like that? How do we do that? Well, let me just say two things not to do and then one thing to do. Two things not to do is don't be arrogant and don't be cynical. Don't be arrogant, don't be cynical. And let me tell you what I mean by that. The younger generation looks at our world and is like, it's broken. There's a lot of things wrong. There's a lot of evil in our world. Man, that last generation had no idea what they were doing. Like, we know what we're doing. We're going to straighten this out. We're going to fix all of this because they didn't know how to fix it. May we never be so arrogant. The same enemy that was working in the previous generation is the one that's working now. The same sin that's within our own hearts is the same sin that was in their hearts that was working the generation before. We are in the desperate need of Jesus just like the generation before is. So let us not be arrogant. The other extreme, let's not be cynical. Let me tell you what I mean by that. An older generation will say, we've been around a long time. We've seen a whole lot of evil in this world. We've seen a whole lot of brokenness. We've seen people that promise they can fix it. They got a new idea, they got a new gadget, they got a new thing, and they're going to fix this whole world. And, it, and it's just not happening. We've been around the circle before, and it's just nobody's going to be able to change this. And we've become cynical and bitter. And Jesus doesn't desire for us to fall into either one of those extremes. Jesus doesn't fall into those extremes, right? Jesus responds in patience as he sees the evil and as he sees the good in the world. He would look at us and encourage us to do the same things. Don't have overdue optimism or resigned cynicism, cynicism, but be patient. Be patient. Let's find that balance between the two. And this is the second truth I want us to grasp as we think of evil in our world, and it's the patience of God does not mean he's apathetic. The patience of God does not mean he's apathetic in this world. So in this story, you see that there's evil and you see that there's good. And as he unfolds this parable, you have these servants who are the angels see the evil in the world. Did you, did you catch that? Look back at verse 28. They said, how did this evil get in here? How did these weeds get in here? And the owner responds, Jesus responds and says, an enemy has done this. So the servants, the angels, respond and say, all right, I know what we need to do. We need to fix this. We need to fix it right now. So we should go out and rip everything up, right? So they see the problem. They see the evil. Let's fix it right away. And his response is no. That's what he says in verse 29. No. No. And what we find over and over again is that people, just like you and I, have been crying out to God, please fix the brokenness and evil in this world. Fix it. And God continues to be patient. I mean, even at this time, as Jesus is teaching, there's people that look out at the political landscape, and they're like, this political landscape is so evil. It's just backbiting, and, and they're oppressing us, and they want the Roman Empire gone. So they're hoping that there's going to be a Messiah, a king, that's going to come and free them from the evil world that they're living in. Give us economical freedom that we once had and, and longed for again. And they want Jesus to do it now. And if you remember that on Good Friday where Jesus rides into the city, they're singing praises, and they say, Hosanna, which means save now, in that moment, they're like, we see all this evil, Jesus, fix it. And instead, what Jesus does is he goes 
to the cross to free them, not of political bondage, but of a spiritual bondage. And then think about the disciples. In Luke chapter 9, there's a story where Jesus tells disciples, go and share the gospel with people. Tell them the good news of this coming kingdom where all things are going to be made right. So they're going around and they're going to city, to city, to city, and they're telling them about the good news of the hope that everything will be made right, both within our hearts and within our world. And some people don't want anything to do with it. They slander those that are sharing the good news. They speak evil against them. They beat them. They kick them out of the city. And so the disciples come back to Jesus in Luke 9. And they're like, Jesus, it's time to wrap this thing up. Like, get these people out of here. There's too much evil. They're being evil to us. And we're bringing them good stuff. And Jesus says, no. No, we need to be patient. We need to wait. And it didn't just happen in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the book of Psalms is filled with people that are crying out to God in prayer. And they're like, how long, God? How long does this world have to be like this? In Habakkuk chapter 1 He actually prays this prayer to the Lord, and he says, How long do I cry for help, and you don't hear? Or cry to you, Hey, look, violence, and you do not save. Why do you make me see evil, and why do you idly look at wrong? I mean, people over and over again are saying the same thing that you and I said as we watched the news this last week. How long, oh God, how long till you fix things? So the the owner, who we know is is Christ, tells them no. But there's a point to his no. There's a point to his patience. We're like, okay, what is that? This parable tells us. He says, no, don't gather them up. Because in gathering the weeds, you root up some of the weed alongside them. Let them both grow together until the harvest time. Let them both grow together. You see, we look at the evil in this world, and we're like, God, why don't you get rid of that evil dictator that's oppressing people? And I believe that God would look back at us and say, why shouldn't I get rid of you for your evil and slander you did yesterday? Your lust and your lying. Like, why shouldn't I just get rid of you? And we might say, well... He's a leader, though. He's got like a much bigger stage. So all his evil is much greater than ours. It might be greater and he might have a bigger stage, but it's no less worthy of judgment. It's no less worthy of judgment than what we have. So in this moment, Jesus is like, no, I'm going to be patient and I want you to be patient. And look where the patience of Jesus Christ took him. Think about this for a minute. The patience of Jesus Christ took him to the point where he took judgment on our behalf. Think about that. He went and he hung on a cross and he died in the face of evil people, spitting on him and yelling slanders in his face. His response in that moment is, forgive them. Forgive them. And this is where the patience of Christ has led him. He is not apathetic to, our, to, to evil in the world. He is warring against it. He's working against it. So much so that it led him to give his life to defeat it. This is who our God is. And he tells us he's being patient in, in, in second t- or second Peter chapter 3. It just spells it out. If you're wondering why he's patient, why he's waiting, this is why. This is why he's waiting. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. That's his promise of coming again to fix all this evil and brokenness in this world. He says, not slow fulfilling his promise as some count slowness. 
but he's patient towards you, to me. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is delaying judgment on you and I right now that we may be saved. That we could repent of our sins and turn to something much, much greater. So in this moment, he's, he's not apathetic to sin. The fact that he's here and he's teaching, the fact that he would lay down his life is showing that he is working against the evil in this world. He's delaying judgment right now so that more could believe in him in turn. He is a patient God. He's a patient God. And so what do we do with that? We see that he's a patient God. He's desiring for us to believe and repent in him. Okay, so what does that mean for me? It means that we do the same. That we are patient with evil. But we are not passive to evil. And there's a huge difference. We are patient and prayerful people, warring against the sin within us and the sin without us, right? But we don't do it in a passive, oh, we're just going to kick back, it's fine. Christ was warring and working in the midst of this great evil, and we're called to do the same. So we must stop doing the evil within us. We, We know it. We know the evil that we continue to come back to over and over and over again, And Christ is being patient, giving us time to repent of these sins and find forgiveness. He's extending that to us because he loves us, because he's a patient God. And so we must fight and have self-control with our own struggles and our own evils. But at the same time, we work against external evils. There's a reason why we have a court system, and there's a reason why we have law enforcement. Because we know there's evil in the world, right? And even within our workplaces, if you're not in one of those two fields, you still are called to be a light in your field and to be a good in your field, to work against the evil that you see around. And some of those are just the simplest of ways, by just doing the right thing with love. It's by sharing the truth that we so desperately long for with others. These little things that we think are insignificant are things that ultimately impact eternity. We're going to see that next week in the parable of the mustard seed, the smallest seed, and leaven, just tiny, and the great impact that it has. So we have to be patient, but not passive. Stop the evil within us and work against it in our culture. We cannot retreat against the evil. We cannot be passive against it. This passage tells us we can't retreat because it says, let both grow together until the harvest. The wheat and the weeds are there. They're side by side. It's in our world. But let us be like Christ and be the light. So God's patience isn't an absence of God's judgment. Just because God's patient doesn't mean that judgment never comes. It is going to come. It's just a temporary withholding of this judgment. So the third thing I want us to see, the third truth is, The delay of God's judgment doesn't mean he's unjust. The delay of God's judgment doesn't mean he's unjust. And one of the things that we have to grasp is the truth that this day is inescapable. There's a day coming where evil will be separated from good. It's just going to happen. 
And he's very clear that the harvest time is going to come. And when that time comes, he's going to gather the weeds and the evil, separate it. He's going to gather the wheat and make them safe. He's going to do this. This is an absolute truth. The harvest time is going to come, verse 39 tells us. And this is so important because what he's saying is that life is not a merry-go-round that goes up and down and around and around. And so we get here and we see the evil and we go back around and take another. And there it is again. There's evil. Like, and time is just circular. That's not what Jesus is telling us. Time is linear. It is moving forward in a direction and it has an end. And that end is a separation of good and evil where all things will be made right. That is the destination that we go to. And that, that destination gives us a purpose and a point in life. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, the whole thing is like, is life vanity? Like, what is life all about? And you get to the very last chapter, and he says there's a day of judgment that, that comes, and you will be held accountable for everything that you've done. And so, in one sense, knowing this day is coming is what gives us purpose in life, while we live and do the things that we do. And Jesus has given us assurance that this day will come. The way the world is is not the way the world will be. And Jesus highlights it multiple times in this sermon. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 50, he tells this other parable about this net. These guys are putting a net in the water and they're dragging it and they're catching fish. And Jesus is highlighting the same point, that there's this net that is coming and it's moving across the time of humanity, leading people into eternity where there will one day be a day of judgment. You're like, Jesus, why would you waste your time thinking up two parables and sharing two parables with the same point? Because it's important. It's important for you and I to see and know and understand this truth. That there is a harvest day coming where evil will be done away with, where judgment will happen. It's going to happen. We need to know that. And there's two responses to this. One of comfort and one of terror. You look at this day and you're like, oh my goodness, I am not ready and there's terror that hits you or you look at this day as as the wheat and it comes with great comfort I mean kind of playing out this parable a little bit more but when wheat is harvested it says it's, it's placed in the barn like that's a good place to be that's a safe place to be and the wheat has reached its maturity and it's been harvested and now it's placed in a barn where it doesn't have to worry about drought or frost, or fire anymore. It's safe and it's secure where it should be. For some of us, we look forward to that day knowing, knowing the truth that because of Jesus and his life, his death and his resurrection, and my belief in that, there's a day where I'm going to come and have that safety and security that I've so desperately longed for, for so long. But then the other side is a sense of fear. We're in this passage, it says that in that day of harvest, there's going to be this fiery furnace and there's this weeping and gnashing of teeth that happens. And, and some people struggle with that and they're like, man, God, that, that can't be real. That's got to be a symbol for something. Because like, would God really take and throw somebody in like this fiery furnace? Like, would God really do that? And so they say it's a symbol, meaning something else. Well, whatever the symbol is, wherever you want to land on that, I obviously believe that speaking of hell, but wherever you want to land on that, this symbol is not a good thing. When Jesus says this, he's not saying, um, this fiery furnace, that's like a winter snowy vacation. 
or a trip to the mountains, or a trip down to the beach where you kind of have a vacation. Like, wherever you land on what this means, it's not a good place to be. It's not a good place. And Jesus warns us not to make us feel terrible, but that we would look to him and found salvation. That we would look and we wouldn't have to live like this. And this is a call for us to repent and find grace and salvation when we can find it. George Whitfield, the great preacher, he described this, this passage like this, this fiery furnace, and it's, it's a scary picture, but he says, consider the torment of a burning coal and how it remains in the fire, not for an instant or for a day, but in this instance, for millions and millions of ages. At the end, people will realize that they are no closer to the end than when they first began. And they will never, ever be delivered from this place. Oh, may the God of grace and mercy and salvation grant us that none would end up here. That nobody in this room would end up here because we hear the plea and the call of Jesus to find hope and salvation. And if the wrath and the judgment of God in this moment does not turn you to Christ, then may the beauty of Jesus Christ turn you to him to find salvation. And that's what we find in verse 43. Because the opposite extreme is the wheat. And this gives us a picture of this kingdom. It says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. They will shine. There will be beautiful sunsets and sunrises. And he tells us that all the causes of sin and all the wall breakers, breakers will be gone. It will be extinguished, evaporated. All the evil in this world will be no more. The greatest evil of death will be gone. It'll be gone. And so Jesus is telling us right here, here's your two destinations. This is, who you, this is your future with me and this is your future without me. And Jesus is laying it out there saying, choose Choose. And this is the very truth that led me to Christ. The very truth that led me to Christ. Pastor was preaching through the book of Revelation. Most people avoid it because we don't understand it completely right. But there's one thing I learned as I was going through the book of Revelation. This is the joy and the beauty of my future with Christ. But at the same time, here's the pain and suffering and isolation and loneliness that I have a part from Christ. And Jesus makes the appeal here, if you have ears, hear. Listen, respond to what I'm saying. So yes, there's evil in the world, but it will not remain. And so if one of your main reasons why you've never believed in Christ, you never believed in God, is because you see evil in the world, then let me just encourage you, don't be deceived today. Don't be deceived because it will not remain like this forever. It won't. So if you're looking, you're like, how could God be in this world with all this evil? He's being patient. He's being patient that you would believe and trust in him and be a part of the solution. That you would be instruments in the hands of a redeemer that's working redemption out in a broken world. If evil bothers you, good, it should. It bothered Jesus. But be a part of the solution. Don't flee from what is good. Because that's the only place you're going to find solution and help. Come to Christ today. And to the believer, I would say, don't be discouraged. As you see all of the evil and broken.